You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This episode of the Sport Horse Podcast is brought to you by Hilltop Bio. Hilltop Bio is committed to developing innovative therapies and improving the lives of horses. Based on the latest scientific advancements, they've created cutting-edge regenerative therapies that are custom-engineered and optimized for specific indications. They're also recommended by top veterinarians like the U.S. show jumping team vet Heather Sherman. They're produced under the strictest manufacturing standards and are show safe to use. If you're familiar with stem cells, PRP, and IRAP for your horse, Hilltop Bio is producing the next generation of regenerative therapies to get your horse on the fast track to healing. Visit HilltopBio.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Borden. And today we have a discussion that is very relevant as we enter the back half of the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. You could say it's a hot topic. Oh my God, that was so painful. <laughs> I even I made a note of it during the recording. To, to, uh, <laughs> sure you did. <laughs> to go with Well, it, so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, but I'll try. So um, our guest today is fantastic. We've been um, working together here on the podcast for quite some time, and we're so happy to have this episode for you now at a time where we're seeing record high temperatures around the globe, um, some of the hottest days recorded on Earth, um, and no signs of that slowing, unfortunately, uh, with the impacts of global warming. So um, we have a just a great conversation today. I, I'm kind of stunned after this interview how little the conversation of core temperature and thermoregulation is has been a part of my upbringing. Um, I don't want to speak for both of us, Tim, but it's just not something that I've found has been discussed that often, um, either in you know like basic healthcare and management or in um, you know, fitness training, athletic health. So today's conversation was pretty eye-opening for me on, you know, what it all means, why it's important, um, and sort of what the future looks like in terms of research in this area. There's just endless, endless topics and, and opportunities to learn more in this space and hopefully use um, what we learn to, you know, help horses stay healthier, train smarter, um, and recover better as, you know, temperatures continue to rise and we continue to ask horses to perform and exercise in these higher temperatures. Our guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Vidwin Verdigal, who obtained her doctor of veterinary medicine at Utrecht University and is a diplomat of the European College of Equine Internal Medicine. She was awarded a double doctorate of philosophy by Ghent University and the University of Adelaide for her research examining thermoregulation, heat illness, and metabolic disorders, which have a worldwide impact on how heat stress is managed in real-life equine sport, racing conditions, and during transportation in hot weather. Since relocating to Adelaide in 2011, she has had tenure as a senior lecturer in equine medicine with the University of Adelaide School of Animal and Veterinary Science. She has contributed significantly to the development of the university's new veterinary science school and was part of multiple endurance veterinary committees, as well as being an official FEI endurance and eventing competition veterinarian in Australia. Hi, Lidwin, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Very happy to be on the podcast. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me. And I really, really love the link of the scientific, uh, to link the things of my research with um the horse world. So it's a perfect um, uh, scenario, I think. 
Yeah, we're for sure to have uh, you on here. Nicole and I uh, chatted a little bit before the episode and really looking forward to this one. Uh, so to kick it off, your thesis examined the monitoring of thermoregulation in exercising horses. Given the, de- the demands of climate change and the increasing prevalence of extreme heat events, this is, of course, a very relevant topic and something that we see uh, coming up on social media often. Can you provide an overview of thermoregulation in horses? Are, are horses generally efficient at maintaining their core temperature? Well, um, that's a really good question. I I, uh, I assume they are they are efficient, um, and maybe I should add that I um, worked in the Middle East before coming here to to the to the university, and that's where I was so um, impressed by horses performing in hot circumstances. And um, hence, when I came to Adelaide University, I thought, ah, oh, this is a good uh, opportunity to look at how those horses are are actually thermoregulating in the in the in the in the field and um i always explain in a simple way that horses are actually they have a poor engine similar to horses uh, to uh, human athletes as in the um metabolic heat which is produced is about 80% of the um energy which is produced so 20% is used for the muscle contraction so in that sense they're not efficient in their uh, metabolism but they are efficient in um, dissipating the heat during exercise and even sometimes in hot circumstances does that answer the question yeah for sure for sure and can you maybe speak a little bit to some of the i guess the mechanisms or the ways that they're able to dissipate some of that heat so horses are similar to uh, human athletes as one of the two mammals mainly um, dissipating the heat, the metabolic heat by sweating. Um, so that's the main mechanism, about 80 to 90 percent, and maybe a little bit of uh, evaporation through the respiratory tract. Um, so that's very different to other mammals. That's super interesting. So I think that most trainers tend to use a horse's surface temperature as a proxy for the core body temperature. I know you've done some work in this area. Can you speak to some of the issues with that approach? Um, Yes, we, we, there's one uh, part of my um, PhD indeed that we looked at the skin temperature, the surface skin temperature, because there are so many wearables being used at this time. Um, And we will have more, which is a good thing, of course. Um, So the skin, so if, we, my research, maybe just to go one step back, is um, to use a temperature pill um, to record the core temperature during exercise in the field and also uh, during recovery. Um, and we might talk about that more, but we use that as a core temperature to compare it with the skin temperature surface skin temperature in endurance horses in the field. And we found there was actually no association. So the peak of uh, the maximum temperature was at a different time than the peak of the core temperature as in the uh, pill temperature. Um, The time to peak was very different. So there was no association of continuous recording of surface temperature um, in the field. Um, Now said that, it was quite an exceptional research, as in we measured the, con- the skin temperature continuously. But most of the time, the trainers would use the skin temperature as a one point uh, post-exercise and, and rarely pre-exercise. And there has been some research which um, have done the post-exercise temperature relating to in racehorses. 
But to explain why it's not associated is that the skin temperature is a response to the body temperature. And so it's the outer shell temperature, while the core temperature, which we use the, the pill temperature, is the, is the inner temperature. So the inner temperature increases. There's a response to increase the blood flow to the skin and to evaporate the uh, metabolic heat. And so the relation between the core temperature and skin temperature is is there, but then it's not that you can assess the skin temperature as a proxy for the core temperature. So you have to be really careful, um, especially when you really want to know, is this horse recovering uh, well in time? Really, really fascinating. And I think that's that's a really key point for everyone listening at home to, to take into account is just some of the limitations of uh, using skin temperature to assess what's going on or, or the temperature in the core. And you mentioned the pill. Uh, I think probably a lot of people haven't heard about this technology and it is really, really cool. And, and again, like we were talking a little bit before we started recording about what is so interesting about your research is that it can be done in the field using this type of technology. And so uh, you're not limited to putting the horse on a treadmill in a lab where you're cranking up the temperature and, and doing those things. Like this is actually horses uh you know, going out for an endurance ride or, or trotters, like actually going out and performing at near maximum intensity and something they would be doing in, in everyday life. So yeah, can you speak a little bit about that technology and how it works? Yes, I was, um, it's really, um, I'm very practical as in what I saw in in, uh, in the Middle East and, and, to, and obviously it's also really hot here in South Australia to know what's going on in the fields and the, um, Research up to now, most of the research is done in a laboratory, which is with the standardized uh, circumstances. So I wanted to know what's happening in the field. And I used a temperature pill, which is the, like a vitamin pill size um, pill, which um, travels through the GI tract, uh, digestive tract, and then measures the temperature in real time. So you can actually read it on your telephone. Um, obviously, we recorded those data and... Uh, we compared endurance horses, um, there were 13 endurance horses and 12 um, trotters, um, and the endurance horses were in a real competition, and um, we recorded the temperature, we related it to the speed and to incline and decline, um, to some blood um, sampling, and also to the heart rate. Um to really see what's happening in the field because it's very different in the field. You have a rider, you have um, a terrain, you have the sun uh, as solar radiation. Um, and um, the main things we found is that um, every horse is individual. So there's, we, we want to believe that we have unique horses, which one, one person one time said to me, and it's really true. So, um, and that's also recently found in human athletes that every individual, even if they're trained the same, they have a very different temperature pattern during the exercise in the field and during recovery. And we are also surprised to find that all the shorter horses, so the fast, uh, high intensity uh, exercise, they peaked their maximum temperature post exercise. And that was up to like average. Uh, half an hour after exercise. And it took them much longer to recover, even with just a 10 minutes cooling. Um, some horses didn't uh, recover after 60 minutes of uh, recovery time. So that's a few of the 
very interesting things we we found and talk more about it if that's if that's what um, you're looking for <laughs> yeah like i think that that is really really interesting and, and i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on uh, specifically that last point you said about that the trotters those high intensity like so- shorter duration activities like why that peak core body temperature would be so much later is it it's just that there's a bit of a delay when the body's trying to replenish the, the energy stores, like after it burns through everything so quickly. Or so, the, yeah. So the, you, the metabolic heat um, is built up, and it, depending on the duration of the exercise, which is obviously endurance horses, which have a long duration submaximal exercise, um, which is similar to some of the other uh, disciplines, and then the um, race horses they have. A peak ex- and high intensity exercise. They use a lot of oxygen, so they produce a lot of metabolic heat. So it makes sense that they continue racing and only have kind of time to uh, dissipate the heat post exercise. We were just very surprised to find out that it happens about like in an average about thirty minutes post exercise, and after one hour, even with cooling, they will not um, return to the to the base temperature. Actually. Um, we had 30% of the throttle horses, um, which were still higher than 39 degrees Celsius. And then just to give the idea of what is normal, uh, reference values uh, uh, as a core body temperature would be 37.4 Celsius degrees uh, to 38 uh, degrees Celsius degrees. So you will have to translate that in Fahrenheit, um, I guess. Um, So if they are 39 degrees Celsius, even after uh, 30 minutes. That's that's That was very surprising for us. Yeah. Because those horses will go on a transport. They will put on a truck or and oh, go wow. home while they were still, they, they would still be um, um, hypothermic or have a too high body temperature. So I'm just curious, and maybe this is a silly question, so forgive me. But um, obviously, you're talking about two different disciplines here and and different types of horses. But we also know as part of training and and sports management and and athletic health that athletes need different types of exercise to accomplish different things, fitness, strength, endurance, all of that. So what impacts are these different – what impact on recovery do these different types of exercise have – um, and, you know, does that have any indications for how, you know, people should should approach these different, basically, tools to, to train and, and manage their horse's athletic health? Yeah, it's a really good question um, and actually a very interesting question. So I'll, I'll try to answer it with my, with the things we found, actually, when I listen to your question. But we also, because we... Um, assess fitness obviously quite often with um, assessing the heart rate and the heart rate recovery. And for example, in endurance courses, um, the veterinarians are actively involved. So we um, do a fat check. So we actually uh, check the horses, including the heart rate and the heart rate should be recovered um, up to 60 beats per minute here in Australia and for the FEI up to 64 beats per minute. So when I looked at those horses, when they what was the body temperature, the tilt, the pill temperature at the time that the heart rate was sixty beats per minute, the average horse was still thirty eight point nine Celsius degrees, so almost thirty nine degrees. 
at that point. So, and um, the same was, I think, in the uh, heartbeat 64 per minute as the FAI rules would be, uh, what's 38.7. So similarly, but it was still increased. So that, that means that when we check horses and, it, and we think they recovered and the heart rate recovered, the cardiovascular system recovered, they still have a higher temperature. So it's okay if those horses then discontinue to riding, but we assess the, the heart rate for them, for example, in endurance, that they are fit to continue. So they will go on the next 40 Ks um, ride with the initial already higher temperature. And so this continues three or four times. So, in yeah, it was very interesting to find that we think, oh, they recovered. Yes, the heart rate recovered, the hydration recovered during the rest time, and we think they are fit, as you said, but they might not be. So we, we might be, um, we might have to cool them much longer. Also, event horses, or if you exercise your horse um, during hot weather, if it's a dressage horse or any, any other horse, we need to cool them much longer, most probably, to really also recover the body temperature. Because the longer it's the duration of the increased body temperature, um, that really eventually may cause heat illness, as in heat stress, and the body is is uh, still trying to recover from that. I hope that that um, explains it. Um, as in your question was really good, so I hope that explains what I <laughs> what my train of thoughts would be to cool much longer if mm -hmm. we train horses in different ways, if they're not used to that exercise, what you're doing with that dressage horse, and it's mm -hmm. hot or um, like it's surprisingly hot. Like yesterday, it was not hot, so it's a it's more of a heat wave thing. You would have to think to recover um, also the thermoregulation system, and not just the heart rate. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And to follow that uh, sort of train of thought there, what, what are the best practices for maintaining a horse's core body temperature within a safe range? Um, and I guess also for, um, you know, I, I, I think, I think we all have a sense of how to help them recover, recover that, uh, that safe range of core body temperature. But if you have any suggestions for that, too. So the, this is always the question. And we were hoping, obviously, also to come out of the research with an answer to that question. And the answer is the um, a one-fits-all approach is not accurate. So you have to know your own horse. And so that means um, if we have a pill and that will hopefully happen in the future. You can actually know your own horse. This horse recovers slower than my other horse. Um, but you can use the indeed the heart rate. You, you might even take the temperature, even if the rectal temperature is always lower, knowing that that's the first research we did. The, the rectal temperature, we measured it also continuously, was always lower than the core body temperature. So even if you take the rectal temperature um, have to keep that in mind so you have to our future maybe that's the best answer our future thought would be that you have an individual passport for every horse because they are individuals and that's also what what they found in fields uh, research uh, recently in human medicine in human uh, sport medicine so you'll have to know your own horse to actually make sure that um, that horse recovered 
it's not the not the <laughs> answer you're looking for. Um, it never is. I, it's never I easy. You, you know, <laughs> because I searched the literature even to have a like a cutoff temperature. What is what is hypothermia? What is uh, not hypothermia? And that's not even possible. Also, not in human medicine. So, it's the whole picture of one unique individual horse. Um, and we we're doing my research is together with. Um, Ghent University, um, the is the comparative research uh, um, group from uh, Professor de La Salle, and she looks at also at the muscle um, uh, metabolism um, and the lactate metabolism. So we found this in more areas that we have to look at athletes in general as individuals. And so if we come from a standardized testing. We have a standardized results more commonly, while if we look in the field, it can be very different. No, that's that's all really fascinating. And um, like just as you were talking, like another thought that popped into my mind as you speak about horses being individuals, I was thinking about like the different breeds of horses, and there are some breeds that are more heat yeah. tolerant. And um, like, would you maybe comment on what could make a horse more heat tolerant? Like, I'd assume like muscle mass is a big, big component. Like, j just maybe even like their skin and like how well it is able to conduct um, moisture and into sweat. But if you have any other ideas on like what would, if someone were to try and select for a really heat tolerant horse, <laughs> what would what would you uh, sort of think they should be looking for? Well, that's the um, the magic question, um, Tim. So. Um... We're looking at so obviously the the, the research continues. So after um, I'm, I'm just going to answer what I what I know and what I've found from the literature and what we what we're doing uh, for the future at this time is we looked at um, uh, for this research which we published we looked at different coat colors if that has an inf influence on the thermal regulation but I think we need really large numbers um, to really prove that. Um, in general, uh, acclimatization is really important. So minimum two or three weeks to train at a time that the competition is being held. That's, uh, for example, in racehorses in Australia, they train in the morning while they race in the afternoon. So it's really important to realize it's a simple thing, but to realize that you that the horse has to acclimatize to perform at a temperature they will be competing. And then going back to your uh, um, question, we're looking at um, the racehorse's performance um, um, here in Australia and the when at risk factors. So first the prevalence and then at the risk factors, which um, have a higher, which factors have um, do cause a higher risk of exertional heat illness, which is the kind of the name for heat stress and heat uh, disease. Um, and the first thing what we what we're seeing is that the initial signs of um, the heat illness are not recognized. So that's the number one. So once we know which horses have um, more, um, uh, they, they have a higher prevalence of heat illness, then we kind of answer your question, which is the magic question, obviously. Um, and we're going to look also at the coat colors, um, which circumstances, um, but also at was there a, a recent heat wave or not, was that the horses were not acclimatized. So that's 
one thing we're doing. We're also looking at um, endurance horses, which performed at um, national um, at the national one hundred and sixty uh, kilometer cup, which is like a hundred miles. And we're also looking at which horses were, for example, transported before, or um, um, and which then resulted in metabolic disorders and heat illness. So I don't have a direct question to your uh, answer to your question, but we're looking at risk factors. And from there, we can um, try to look a little bit more at the genetics behind it. Um, but there's nothing published as yet. I know there's one um, one study which identified, I think, in, in China in, in a, a gene. So that may be uh, interesting to look at further. That's really fascinating. And I mean, I can certainly relate when it comes to the challenge of of just getting enough numbers um, mm. to really have statistically relevant uh, information. But I'm curious. Uh, I I know this is a a bit of a challenging ask, but you know mm. the Earth is definitely warming. We're seeing record high temperatures. We're seeing you know um, abnormal weather patterns and all kinds of things. And no no signs that that's going to slow anytime soon. Um, you know, with the impacts of of global warming. I'm curious if from your research, there's just, you know, maybe one or two or maybe three takeaways that you you would want anyone managing a sport horse or performance horse to know about um, core body temperature and thermoregulation to help them keep their horses, you know, happy and healthy and able to perform at their best. Yes, we are definitely facing the global warming, which is, makes makes also the research um, very um, interesting and uh, important. Um, so I guess I would go back to heart rate is not necessarily the, um, the 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 tool to know that you that the um, body also recovered with the heat dissipation. So in that sense, that still can be a high temperature. Um, be aware that if you transport horses, even prior, that's not a research we're mm-hmm. gonna we are looking at prior um, to exercise transportation can already heat up the body. So we can already um, we can see horses which may start the competition when they are already at a higher body temperature. So that's I guess something to be aware of with the global warming. We transport we still transport horses at the same time. We didn't change anything in that sense. And then uh, post um uh, exercise, whatever the exercise is, because we even found one endurance horse which after one and a half hours still had 39 degrees Celsius while the heart rate was already recovered. So um really keep in mind that Every horse is individual, but also to maybe cool longer if the weather is suddenly warm. And um, yeah, I guess more awareness direction of uh, transporting horses also post-exercise. And um, I just have to come back to every horse is an individual, mm-hmm. as in know your horse. And um, if your horse is a little bit more depressed, um, not as alert, um and we didn't talk about heat illness as such yet. How do you recognize it? But if your horse is more depressed, more um, maybe not sweating at all, um, which is a sign of heat illness, um, behavior is different, irritated, uh, maybe kicking out. So these are all minor 
exertional heat illness as heat illness signs post-exercise, which we are probably all missing. We're not recognizing them at this time. So that would be um, the three things to mention. Yeah. Really, really interesting. And um, like, I'd just be curious, you may not know this, but like you've mentioned a few horses that maybe nine minutes or 90 minutes after like exercise ceased, they were still like the temperature is still quite elevated. I, I don't know how much of an impact it would have, but like, is there any relationship between like the amount of water horse drinks post exercise and how quickly it would cool? And like, are some horses that take a long time to cool? Are they the types of horses that you can't get to drink immediately after exercise? Yes. Um, that's also an area where we go, uh, Quincy looking at. Uh, in endurance horses, I guess it's that's even more important. But in all horses, we talk always talk about um, sweat loss. And the sweat um, loss, obviously, is water loss, um, but also electrolyte loss. And the sweat compared to humans is more hypothonic. So we the horses lose more electrolytes uh, relatively if we compare it to humans. Um, so the trick is indeed to make sure that the horses are hydrated and on top of that to that the horses um, have uh, are supplemented or resupplemented with electrolytes because particularly if they lose um, sodium which is um, one of the uh, electrolytes they lose in sweat um, there's no thirst response so the horses will not even while they are dehydrated they will not um, start uh, drinking and um, I would think, and we're doing an electrolyte supplementation survey at this moment, but I would think that horses um, which are trained to drink water, for example, with electrolytes or already are used or have electrolytes in the feed, um, they will also eat it during the competition or prior to competition, even when they're nervous or, you know, have other factors going on. So to train horses to actually drink water at certain times, different kinds of water, uh, to train horses to eat um, electrolytes in whatever way, that will hopefully prevent um, dehydration uh, during exercise or they replenish really easily after exercise so that's one of the things we're also looking at and obviously really important yeah well what i'm hearing here is that we have several <laughs> more episodes to record with you as, you, <laughs> as your research continues yeah. to develop because it just seems like mm. there's so much here there's so much that you personally are are you know pursuing and researching and um you know we talk a lot about the sort of limitations of clinical research and and the ability to uh really look at real sports sport horses and athletes and and get real data on on during actual performance and so i think it's obviously really cool and exciting what what you're doing um i know that you have a busy day ahead so uh i'm going to ask just one more question of you today mm -hmm. and that's a question yes. that we ask all of our um podcast Yes. And that is, if you could speak to a horse and they could understand you, what would you want them to know? Yes, that's a really good question. I actually want to ask them something, but that's obviously not allowed. <laughs> that's but what would... everybody says. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I would like to tell them that if they are feeling 
um, slightly fatigued or overheated, just stop exercise because that's what humans do and <laughs> don't continue and then um, develop a heat stroke because then, um, you know, you will suffer and also it's very hard to come back from, as we know, from, from a human athlete. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's a really nice sentiment. And uh, I, I think it's come up a few times before, like horses are such noble and mm. creatures and they want to try to please so much. And like sometimes they need to be a bit more yeah. selfish, right? So, and just like yes. look out for themselves a little bit better. So I think that's uh, a, a really good point. Um, thank you so, so much. It's been fascinating. Uh, I felt like I just kept having, or we kept having like different <laughs> ideas pop into our heads. And uh, I feel like we are we were almost going down a checklist, <laughs> just all these things we were really curious about. Um, and as Nicole said, we'd love to have you on again in the future as more of this research comes out because it's uh, for sure a topic that's becoming more and more important. So thank you so, so much. Really, really appreciate it. I also really, really enjoyed it. Just to, you have such, you had such a good question. So I'm really, um, yeah, really grateful for talking about it. And I can talk about it indeed very much. Um, much longer so also want to thank all the people who are involved always in my research and also the the horse owners who actually trusted me to use the pill in the field um, and all the students who are involved and my um, previous supervisors um, for my PhD and also you to um, ask me such a good questions <laughs> well, thank you again it was a pleasure chatting with you that was a really fun conversation and it felt almost like a Mythbusters type of episode where, you know, and, and you alluded to this in the intro, Nicole, but I think often how we think about like temperature with respect to horses and how they cool and, and when they've probably returned to baseline temperature after exercise uh, isn't really reflected in the science and in the research that Vidwin uh, has been doing. So it was kind of fascinating to go down that road to learn about that, she touched on nutrition, different um, practices for managing horses after exercise to allow them to cool out, the individual nature. Like it was just really, really uh, well covered by her. A lot of stuff for, I think, everyone to think about and to almost, like, it may be worthwhile for your own horse to create a bit of a profile for how you perceive they actually recover and just being a bit more mindful about what we can be doing to get them back to baseline when they need to. And also knowing the warning signs to look for if they are getting. Uh, some heat illness and the different steps that you should take to address that as quick as possible. Yeah, we also learned a very important lesson today, and that is that you should not quit your day job because comedy is not in your future. Uh, I, I liked it. I'm I'm pretty happy <laughs> with that. I mean, no editing, no editing it out now. It's got to stay in because you know I just brought it for full circle for you. Yeah. So with that, that's a wrap for today's episode. You can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. Also, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app, wherever you're listening right now. Follow us, leave a review. That way you'll never miss an episode and you can help other people find the podcast as well. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the app store and search Horse Radio Network. Thank you again to our sponsor, Hilltop Bio, for making the Sport Horse podcast possible. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. Mm -hmm.